The title of this morning's message is Rebellion. Rebellion. And so Mark chapter 11 verses 27 through 33, reading from the English Standard Version, it says this, And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you the authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me. I will tell you by what authority I will do these things. I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the people, for they all held John to be a prophet. And so they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Doesn't really sound like, come to me, little children, Jesus, right? This is, this is the, that, that rainbow, uh, uh, yellow brick road, uh, ice cream licking Jesus that you guys are so used to hearing about in Christianity, right? Happy-go-lucky, he needs to make you feel good all the time, Jesus. This doesn't quite sound like that Jesus, right? It sounds like he's getting a little bit confrontational with them and is trying to teach them a lesson. You see... What had happened prior to this is that Jesus literally a few verses before this enters into the temple, starts tossing tables, starts moving seats, and starts casting judgment in the temple. And these folks did not like that that was happening. You see here, let me just explain to you. The chief priests, they were in charge of the religious temple. And when they asked Jesus what authority he was doing all these things, they're referring to him turning over the tables, driving people from the temple. To them, Jesus was just some back of the woods guy from Nazareth. He had no training. He wasn't like them. He didn't have the authority, the education that they had. And they were basically, here's what they're saying to them. Jesus, you're coming in here. Who do you think you are to do what you just did? And Jesus didn't answer but he turned it around and asked them a question i'll tell you the authority i have if you'll answer one question was the baptism of john from heaven or man in other words he was saying was the ministry of john the baptist from god or was it man-made and they were stumped if they said john the baptist ministry was from god they would endorse jesus's ministry because he endorsed And he baptized Jesus. But if they said it was from man, they knew that they would upset everybody. Because everyone loved John the Baptist. Either way, they were in trouble. So they decided to answer, well, we don't know. Jesus then shares a story later on in chapter 12. And we'll get to that in the coming weeks. Jesus then shared the story about a man who planted a vineyard. And he said, through this story, Jesus was referring to all the prophets who had come to Israel with a message from God. Yet the people of Israel continued to beat, reject, and kill them. And he even talked of his own death through mentioning the vineyard owner sending his own son. And in that, he quoted Psalm 118. It's a messianic psalm that the chief priests knew. He's still talking to the chief priests throughout all of this. He is being confrontational without being nasty to them 
And he's trying to teach them a lesson. Jesus was saying, you know that messianic stone that the builders, that you guys are going to reject? It will become the cornerstone. And God is going to build this thing wholly off of the death of his son. This was a roundabout way of Jesus telling them, hey, you want to question authority? I'm going to let you know this authority comes from God. And the reason that he could go into the temple, throw tables around, and kick people out is, was because it was his temple. It was at that moment that the chief priests looked at him and made the decision that they needed to get rid of Jesus. They were the Pharisees, the chief priests, the elders, God's men, the guys who knew the law. Their issue with Jesus wasn't that they didn't believe his authority was from God. They'd seen the power of Jesus. They'd seen his divine power displayed over and over again. Their issue was this, submitting to his authority. This is an issue in our world today. It is a huge issue. It is a mega big issue within the church. I remember growing up in church and we would look at men and women of God who were in leadership and we would admire them and want to live our lives out like them because they were a godly example to us. We live in a church day and age where people don't have a problem having conversations, backhanded conversations about church leadership. We live in a totally different age from the age that I grew up in, but this is a major issue. It's a major issue with us and God, and it's a major issue within the church of Jesus Christ, and it's a major issue in our society, submitting to authority. You see, if they admitted Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, they would lose their position. They would lose their power. They would lose their influence. They would lose their control. And rather than submit to his authority and losing their own, they killed him. Make no mistake about it. When you make a decision to follow Jesus, he calls us a lot to a lot more than just Sunday morning worship attendance. When he calls us to himself, he's calling us to hand over the reins over our life, to surrender our authority, to surrender our power, to surrender our control, and to lay it at the feet of the Lord Jesus. Look at what 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15 says. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and raised. Here's what that means. Let me break it down and cliff notes that for you. What that means is you are not alive to yourself. You have submitted control over your life and given reins over your life to the one who died for you, Jesus. Let me talk to you about three things that define a follower of Christ. As believers, number one, as believers, we're no longer controlled anymore by the love that we have for ourselves. It's our love for Jesus that now controls our life. That's a big thing. Number two, since Christ died for you, you're called to die to yourself. Number three, because you have died to yourself, you're now alive in him and you're to live for him. The problem is, is that the Pharisees and the chief priests, they were unwilling to do this. Look at what Jesus says. Jesus' ministry is so, so revolutionary. Look at what Jesus says. Matthew chapter five, verse five, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. 
when you hear the word meek, you often think about weak. But that's not true. The biblical definition of being meek means power under control. This word was used for a broken in horse. A horse that had all the type of strength and passion of an unbroken horse. But that horse would submit that strength and passion to the man holding the reins. Jesus was saying, blessed are those who have power under authority. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, when a believer, a believer gives the reins of their power and of their passion over to Jesus. Let me share with you one of the greatest examples in all of the Bible of what this looks like. Ever heard of this young teenager called Mary? A teenager doing her own things with dreams, hopes of what her life would be like. Then all of a sudden an angel shows up. Mary, you are going to bear a son. And she looked at him and said, how is that going to happen? I've never even been with a man before. And the angel responded, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and you will have a son and you will name him Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And the kingdom will be built through all of this. And hit Mary in that moment that her life as she knew it was over. She knew what she would be called when she began to grow a child while not married. She read the stories of the Old Testament. She knew the prophecies of the Messiah. She knew one day she would watch her son die. She knew she was about to hand over the reins of her life to God. And when that hit her, Here's what she responded to the angel. And this is powerful. This is key. Take this as a goal in your life. I am a slave of the Lord and he can do with me whatever he wants. That's Mary's response to God's call on her life. And that is a mark of a believer. You see, the chief priests and ours, when we refuse to submit our lives to Jesus, the authority placed over us, That's a word that we don't like to talk about very much, but it's a word called rebellion. Rebellion. And there are two kinds of rebellion, and I'd like to talk to you about that this morning. Number one, there's childish rebellion, and number two, there's willful rebellion. I'm going to use kids as an example because I think we can all kind of wrap our head around it. Do you know you have kids? If you have kids, each one, each child kind of rebels a little bit differently. So... You ever have a cookie jar in your house? Yeah, anybody ever have a cookie jar in in your house? My wife makes some awesome cookies. And sometimes we tell the kids, either you can eat one now, uh, you can't eat any more later. Uh, We're going to put this away. This is for tomorrow. And then what will happen is uh, 10 minutes later, one of them will walk in with chocolate in the corner of their mouth. And we'll say, "Um, did you eat a cookie? And sometimes the kid will start crying or they'll confess and say, I did it. The devil made me do it. I'm sorry. Or they'll start to confess every sin that they've done. That's called childish rebellion. It's a sin, but it's coming from a heart of childishness and of lack of wisdom. It's Peter who on the night that Jesus needed him most completely failed him. And at the end of the day, the sin Peter committed was every bit as bad as Judas's sin. He denied Jesus three times. When the rooster crowed, 
it hit him and he began to weep. It crushed him to know that he had let the Lord Jesus down. And what was Jesus' response? Jesus pursued him. He found him on the beach. He cooked him breakfast and called him back into ministry. He rebuked him. He disciplined him. But he also restored him. You see, sin is sin. Jesus had to die for Peter's sin. But there is so much grace when we love the Lord and mess up and repent. That's childish rebellion. The other one is willful rebellion. This is premeditated. It's obstinate rebellion. I want you to think about the same cookie jar scenario. Except a different child walks in with crumbs, chocolate all over his chin. And you'll ask, did you eat a cookie? And they'll look right into your eyes and say, yes. And you'll ask why. Because I wanted to. And you're getting ready to go up there and correct them and discipline them. And they'll come to you and they'll look at you and they'll say, do your worst. This child will eventually repent. But I'll have to go Old Testament on them first. You know, wrath of God kind of stuff. That'll draw them into repentance. But this kind of rebellion, it doesn't come from a place of lack of wisdom. It doesn't come from a place of childishness. It comes from a willful, obstinate heart. The child knew what you said. They didn't care. They were going to do what they wanted to do regardless. This is dangerous. When I've seen this type of willful rebellion rise up in a church environment, in a home environment, in a family environment, you need to be fearful of this because it needs to be corrected. It needs to be cut down. It is not good for the body of Christ. It is not good for your family. It is not good for you to be practicing this type of rebellion. You see, because God deals very differently with people when they are willfully rebellious. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 19 through 21. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. In other words, you know your behavior. You should not be behaving this way. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. See, because of creation, they they know God, yet they chose not to honor and give thanks to him as God. Look at what Romans 1.18 says. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. This is This is not the Old Testament. This is the New Testament. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They know the truth, but they suppress it. They know God, but they don't honor and give thanks to him. The result of this kind of sin isn't breakfast with Jesus and a restoration into ministry. The result of this kind of willful rebellion is the wrath of God. And I want you to take a moment for a second. I want you to analyze deep in your heart this morning. 
I want you to evaluate your sin patterns in your life. Evaluate the sin patterns in your life. Do your sins come from a place of foolishness, lack of wisdom, childishness? Are you sinning from a lack of wisdom, but do you repent and then pray for wisdom not to put your hand back in the cookie jar? I pray that the Lord Jesus will give you strength to continue to repent. One of the most well-known pastors out there, his name is John Piper. He says, as long as you seek genuine repentance in your life, you're all right. The second you no longer repent, you're in trouble. I always love this old hymn. There's this old hymn that I love, and and it has these verses in it. Let your goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. A fetter is a chain. Let your goodness chain me to you. And then it continues on. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it home to leave the God I love. In other words, this is within me already. I'm, I'm, I have it within me that, that I wander away from God if his goodness, if his mercy, if I'm not binded to God through his goodness, binded to God through his repentance. And so I pray that, that God's goodness will bind your wandering heart to his. And I pray that you would remember That there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. You can never mess up too much to where he won't love you. You need to trust in the love of God. Or do you fall on the other end of things? Do you see the hooks and the patterns of willful, obstinate rebellion against God? Do you not like handing control over your life over to God? Do you not like having his authority reign in your life? This is a dangerous place to be. And the first step is is admitting this is you. Confess that you see those hooks in your heart. Make war against your sin. Listen to me, church. I know you don't hear this in churches nowadays, but I'm going to tell you something. You cannot play nice with the devil. Slay your sin like the dragon that it is. Destroy it. Make war against it. Drop every type of spiritual nuclear bomb on that thing until it is rid of and eradicated from your life. Do not play nice with sin. Do not play nice with the devil. Make war on sin in your life and ask God to break your will. It's a hard prayer to ask, but it needs to be done. Can I tell you some of you are saying, Lord, I feel like I'm between a rock and a hard place. My back is up against the wall. And you're wondering, why is your back up against the wall? And you're thinking that the enemy is the one pressing you in and forward to keep your back up against the wall. I'm here to tell you today, it isn't the enemy. It isn't Satan. It is Jesus who is breaking your will so that you will submit to him. It is Jesus who is doing it. Let me tell you something. I think the devil gets a worse rap than, 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 than uh, he deserves. I really do. How many of you, I mean, let's be honest. When something happens in your life, you get a flat tire. Oh, Satan did it. Well, how about if it's the fact that your tires are only supposed to go for 30,000 miles and you're already on the 50,000th mile and you haven't changed it? 
I'm going to have a heart attack. It's the devil. No, how about it? It's, you haven't taken care of the temple that God gave you. And so you need to work on the temple God gave you so you don't fall into that. How about that? How about if it isn't the devil? How about if it's you? Or how about if instead of it being the devil, oh, the devil's coming against me. He is attacking me. How about if it isn't devil? How about if it's God sending this around you to cause you to bend your knees to him because it's the only time he can get you into prayer? What if it's not the devil? What if it's God breaking your pattern of rebellion? What if because you can't make war against your sin and make the decisions to slay the thing, God had to put you in a difficult place to cause you to repent and to cause you to submit to him so that your life could be made new? I tell my wife all the time, I said, I don't know, God needed to work that out in the church because in that moment I didn't have the courage to be able to, to do that. But God sometimes put me between a rock and a hard place where that was the only decision that could have been made. And it was the toughest thing, most grueling thing in the world. But it was the decision that needed to be made in that situation because he needed to put me there because in and of my own will, I wouldn't have done it. And it's true for your lives too. Ask God to produce meekness in your life. That authority, that, that passion that glory that power all submitted to the authority of jesus and regardless of where you stand the gospel is more powerful than childish and willful behavior i want to tell you this church some of you are saved you have received the lord jesus christ and you have settled in that place of salvation and not moved past that And so what happens is, is that God died for your sins. He died to set you free, but you haven't applied the blood to the situation in your life. And so you may be saved and going to heaven, but there's some parts of your character that just ain't saved. And you need to submit them to Jesus. You see, when Jesus saves you, he saves your spirit. He saves you wholeheartedly so that on the day of redemption, you can be lifted up to meet Jesus face to face. But that doesn't mean that there are certain issues in your life that the blood of Jesus and the salvation of Christ haven't been applied to in your life yet. Jesus has already done it. You just haven't received it for yourself. This is a big part of inner healing. It's a huge part of inner healing that God has died to make you free, but there are certain areas of your life that you'd prefer to be trained in because you don't know who you are if you don't have that issue in your life. You don't know who you are if you lose it all. The other day I was working on inner healing with my wife and I was writing certain things and I told her and I confessed to her this. I said, God has made me new in this area of my life, but because I had constructed and based this entire aspect of my character and who I am and my function on all of these things that happen and these building blocks, now that God has made me new, I really don't know who I am anymore in this particular area of my life. It took a while for God to, to say, you don't need that. That doesn't make you who you are. You, you, don't, you don't need to be told you have such a strong character to feel okay about yourself. You don't need to be told you're such a strong leader. Well, what if God wants to make you a meek and a humble leader? That's okay too. See, we get, our society glorifies 
glorifies unrestrained authority. Oh, they're so powerful. Oh, yes, that pastor, he's so good. They built a church out of scratch. But yeah, he also managed to to hurl insults at all of his staff on the process of doing it. And he managed to destroy their lives in the process of doing it. But no, we celebrate him because he built something really nice that looks pretty. This is what we do in society. It's what we do with our politicians too, don't we? We lift them up, we raise them up because we like that. Yes! Show me the goods and let it spill all over the place. No. What if God wants to make you humble and meek? And what, what would happen if everyone took the authority that God gave in their lives and instead of being like an unbridled horse, what if we were submitted to the Lord Jesus and gave that power, gave that authority to Jesus so that he can have control over our lives? How much different would our world look? See, the Bible is full of stories of taking childish, childish, rebellious hearts and putting wisdom in them and changing them for the glory of God. But the Bible is also full of stories of God taking hearts of stone, willfully obstinate hearts against the Lord, melting them down, breaking them, and using them for the glory of God. Friends, wherever you are today, repent. Run to Jesus. Give him the reins and the authority in your life and you will be blessed. You want to walk in blessing? Then you need to talk in blessing. You want to walk in blessing? You need to act in blessing. Submit. Submit. This is a hard word for us to hear. Submit. Because we feel if we put ourselves out there and say, I'm going to come down to this authority, then we're afraid that that authority will come, will break us, will destroy us, and will harm us. That's not God's intention. It's not God's intention. It's not my intention as a pastor. I don't want that. I don't want that for you. It's not God's intention. But this is key. Submitting to the authorities placed over us in our life. It is a theme of the scriptures and it is a principle of life and when we jump that theme and go over that theme we will forever instead of living in blessing we will live in curse we will live in curse and you'll see it in people's lives the wife who walks around and and has uh, 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 been with several men and she cannot have a relationship with anyone because she can't submit to the authority of her husband or the man who walks around unrestrained and goes around doing all these things with various women because he could not submit to the authority of his wife over him or the people who jump from church to church to church because they couldn't submit to the authority in that church place or the person who runs from job to job to job to job because they just couldn't handle it that their boss actually expected something from them. If you don't deal with authority issues in your life, you will run from home to home, from church to church, from employment to employment, the rest of your life if this issue is not dealt with in your life. It needs to be dealt with. It needs to be brought under the cross of Jesus. It needs to be submitted to the authority of Christ. And so what I want you to do is when you go home today, 
Could you grab a piece of paper? Would you just write down where are you feeling like you're ending up in this spectrum? And would you just give that to the Lord in prayer? And would you ask the Lord not only to reveal, but that the Lord would deal with you and that you would deal harshly with, with, with that rebellion in your life and slay it and destroy it so that the glory of God and the blood of Christ can be applied and you can be healed. Walk in freedom and walk in meekness because if you walk in freedom, if you walk in meekness, the kingdom of God is yours.